Dear Heavenly Father, all of this for your glory. You are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords. And there's no one like you. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are who you say that you are. Lord, we look forward to the day when you're going to crack open the sky and you're going to take us to be with you. Lord, we love you. Thank you for sending your son to die for us. Thank you for bringing purpose to our life, meaning to our life. Lord, as we talk about a very serious subject today, I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would speak to every individual heart and individual life in this room and on the stream and in TV. Lord, that you would show yourself to be real in this moment and that we would understand eternal realities better today than we ever have before. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. We're so glad that you are with us today. So thankful for you guys. Thanks for being so faithful to Sagebrush and our ministries during the pandemic. We are in the middle of a series called Wake Up Call. But before I get into my message today, got a couple of quick things I've got to make mention of. The first thing is this. We are doing a love all, serve all food drive. We always stay in close contact with all the food pantries in the area and we could use they could use some help. Three ways to donate. You can bring in food, you can buy a special edition Keep Hope Alive t-shirt on our website. You just go to the bookstore that's there. There's a whole bunch of t-shirts. In fact, any t-shirt that you purchase, all those proceeds will also go to feed my starving children. So not only we feed people here at home, but we feed people in third world countries as well. And everyone who participates get a, gets a Keep Hope Alive bracelet on one side, and the other side says finish strong, because that's what we want to do at the end of this pandemic, is we want to keep hope alive, and we want to finish strong. We want to continue to lift the name of Jesus up, so I hope that you'll participate with that. Isn't that great? I hope you'll participate. Let me give you the next thing, stages of the cross. Friends, I told you tickets were going to go fast, and I wasn't kidding. Tickets are going extremely fast. This is your opportunity on all of our campuses, except for Belize and Los Lunas. This is your opportunity to walk in the steps of Jesus the last week of his life. It's a fully immersive experience. It will bring your Easter to life like never before. It's super easy to sign up. You just go to the Sagebrush app, so make sure you download the Sagebrush app on your app store. Click the banner that says Stages of the Cross, walk through experience. What will come up next is we'll say attend or volunteer. I want to brag on the Riverside campus. We have every spot that's already full for the Stages of the Cross for people who wanted to volunteer. So thank you for that. Multi-sites, you need to step up a little bit, would you? We still have some spots for the multi-sites. So come on, let's help us out. Let's say you hit a 10 because you want to go, and then what you do is you go to the next one, you pick which campus you're going to attend at, then you go to the next screen, pick which day you want to go. Each campus has different days for Stages of the Cross. Make sure you're of that. And then after that, you register your name, your uh, first name, last name, email address, uh, the child that you're giving to the church, put that in there as well. Uh, just joking, right? We don't want your kid, okay, to be honest with you. And then you tell us how many tickets that you want for the event, and uh, then you're going to get an email that comes. So if it, you don't get an email immediately, check your junk email, and you'll get a QR code. That's what you bring for your time, tells you when to come, uh, what time to be there, all that good stuff. That is stages of the cross. So make sure that you take advantage of that as well. All right, let's get into our message 
called Wake Up Call. You ever notice when you drive by different churches, they have those church signs. You know what I'm talking about? Where they put the letters up, and sometimes they have fun little sayings and fun little things that they put up there. I found a few of these. I thought they were kind of funny. Uh, here's the first one. Uh, honk if you love Jesus. Text and drive if you want to meet him. That's pretty good, isn't it? I mean, that's a... That's a good one right there. I think that's funny. Let me give you another one. Don't let your worries kill you. Let the church help. So <laughs> let me give you another one. I think it's pretty good. We love hurting people. You take that one of two ways, can't you? Let me, let me give you another one. Tweet others as you would like to be tweeted. I'm taking that one out for the next service. Okay, that one did not work. All right, let's go to the next one. Uh, pumpkin Spice Communion through uh, Sunday, this Sunday at 10 a.m. Uh, they pumpkin spiced everything. I'm pretty sure that was a joke. They, did, they didn't mean this. Here's my favorite one of all. Uh, do you want to know what hell is? Come hear our organist play on Sunday. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So today, as we're continuing our little wake-up call series, and we're talking about what happens to a person once they die, unfortunately, you've come on the weekend where we're going to talk about hell. I remember I preached on hell about eight years ago, and a woman came up to me after the service, and she said, Preacher, I didn't know what hell was like until you got here. <laughs> Not really sure how to take that one, to be honest with you. But a lot of people, they still believe in eternal realities. There was a Gallup survey that came out. I found this to be interesting. 78% of Americans believe in heaven. That's still a really good percentage. 78% of Americans believe there's a heaven. 78% also believe they have a good or excellent chance of getting to heaven. So all those surveyed, every one of them thought they were going to go there, right? Here's what was interesting. 60% of Americans believe in hell. And only 4% believe they have a good or excellent chance of going there. 40% of people no longer believe that uh, there is such a place as hell anymore. Uh, there was a guy named Dr. Maurice Rollins. He's a cardiologist for the University of Tennessee. He wrote a book. Uh, the book was about 300 near-death experiences. He had interviewed these people who had literally come back to life again. And he wanted to hear what their experiences were like. Now listen, these are subjective experiences. You don't want to read too much into these different things. But here's what he found to be interesting. 50% of those people said that they saw something horrific. That they went to a place where there was unbelievable pain. And there was torment. And there was torture. And this was Dr. Rawlings' conclusion. He said, just listening to these patients has changed my mind, my life. There is life after death. And if I don't know where I'm going, it's not safe to die. Now, that's funny to me because he says it's not safe to die. Of course it's not safe to die. But it's really not safe to die if you don't know where you're going to go once you do die. Now, some of you look at me. You got your arms folded up. You go, you be kidding me. Are we, we're talking about hell. Seriously, Todd. Hell. Nobody believes in hell anymore. And that's not true. 60% of people believe that there is a hell. Only 40% don't believe there's a hell. And I really don't care if you believe it or not. Do you know why I could care less? Because Jesus believed it. And I know it's a fashionable thing in churches today to say, oh, there's no such place as hell. But to do that, you've got to ignore an awful lot of Scripture. 
Did, did you know that uh, one-third of Jesus' teachings have to do with hell and have to do with judgment? Did you know that? Did you know that two-thirds of Jesus' parables have to do with hell and have to do with judgment? Let's just take the Gospel of Matthew. You know, we got four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What are they about? They're all about the life of Jesus. There are over 12 different references to hell in the Gospel of Matthew, and this is how Jesus describes this awful place. Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, Matthew 18, verse 9, Jesus refers to hell as a fire. Matthew 18, verse 8, Jesus calls it an eternal fire. How about this? Matthew 7, 13. He says, hell is a place of destruction. Matthew 7, 23. Hell is a place that is away from his presence. A place where God is absent. We'll talk more about that in just a second. Matthew chapter 8, verse 12. Chapter 22, verse 13. Chapter 25, verse 30. Hell is a place for those who have been thrown outside. Depart from me, you evil and wicked person. I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. Matthew 13, verse 42. Hell is described as a blazing furnace. Matthew 22, verse 13. Matthew 25, verse 30. Hell is described as a place of utter darkness. Matthew 25, verse 46. Hell is a place of eternal punishment. Matthew chapter 8, verse 12. Chapter 13, verse 42. Chapter 13, verse 50. Chapter 22, verse 13. Chapter 24, verse 51. Hell is a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell. Matthew chapter 18, verses 8 and 9. Jesus said, If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. That's what Jesus said about this place. Do you remember uh, Aaron Ralston? He was a young man who went hiking one day and decided to climb some slot canyons. And as he was climbing down a slot canyon, a boulder got loose and the boulder fell down and it crushed his hand. Do you remember this? There's a movie called 127 Hours where it recaps the five and a half days as he literally was at the bottom of this canyon uh, cliff area. And he had this boulder, 800 pounds on his arm, and he tried everything he could to release his arm. And I don't remember what day it was exactly, but he decided that it would be better for him to go ahead and cut his arm off himself than to die. See, for the first couple of days, he called out for anybody who would help him, but there was nobody for miles around. Nobody could hear his cries for help. So he said, better to lose my hand than to lose my life. Do you remember what he did? Took his pocket knife out, and he began to cut away. Can you imagine doing this? Cutting through the skin, cutting through the tendons and the ligaments, getting down to the bone, and then snapping. I've got a video I'm just messing around. You can watch it yourself at your own convenience. But in the movie, it was, it was very graphic, very gross. I, 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 was, I was not happy to see that at all. He broke his arm right off and left his hand behind and crawled back to have a life. You ever had your eye poked? It's not, it's not a pleasant experience, is it? How, how about I walk up to you and poke you in the eye? Would you like to poke you in the eye? You would not be happy with me if I poked you in the eye. What if you took some scissors and gouged it out with your... 
That, that wouldn't be a very pleasant experience, would it? Jesus said, listen, it'd be better for you to gouge your eye out if it's causing you to sin than to be thrown into the fires of hell. Because why? Our sin leads us to hell. Now listen, I, I want to make sure that everybody understands this. Jesus isn't teaching self-mutilation, all right? Jesus is the king of metaphor, all right? He's not saying go home, get scissors. That's not what he's saying at all. Here's what he's saying. You do whatever you got to do. You do whatever you have to do to run away from sin, to confess your sin, to ask God to forgive you of your sin. You do whatever you have to do because your sin will lead you to a very, very bad place. Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. Did you know that? And his favorite word that he would use to describe hell was the word Gehenna. Now, everybody in the, in the New Testament, when Jesus spoke, they understood exactly what Gehenna was. They understood what, what that place was. In the Old Testament, it was a place of pagan sacrifice. That's where people would literally take their children and they would murder their babies in an effort to win the blessings of some pagan god that they believed in. That's, that's what they did in the Old Testament. And everybody in the New Testament knew exactly what that's what Gehenna was. But in the New Testament, Gehenna was the city dump. It was just outside of Jerusalem. It was always on fire. It smelled to high heaven. There were wild dogs, pack dogs would get together. These dogs would come into town when there wasn't enough food, and they would rip apart children when they were playing. These dogs would wander around looking for something to eat in, in Gehenna. And when someone died, remember when Jesus was dying on the cross, and after he died, they were going to throw him in Gehenna. It was Joseph of Arimathea who came asking for Jesus' body. If he hadn't done that, there wouldn't be enough of Jesus' body three days later to resurrect from the dead. It was a place that smelled awful. And it was always on fire day and night. This was the terminology that Jesus used for this place. What, what did he do? He picked the most disgusting place he could come up with and said, that is exactly what hell is like. It's like Jesus is waving a caution flag verse after verse after verse saying, I don't want anybody to go there. Now, some of you are kind of skeptical. I get that. I'm kind of skeptical about hell sometimes too. And you think to yourself, well, why would a good and loving God even make a place like hell? Well, in Matthew chapter 25, God said that he made this place where he would be absent, where he would not be. So there's a space somewhere where God says, I refuse for my presence to be in that space. Now, if you don't have the presence of God in a space, what do you have? In a word, you have hell. Imagine if God's Holy Spirit leaves. You would have no love anymore. You'd have no joy. You'd have no peace. You'd have no kindness. You'd have no goodness. You'd have no self-control. If people who end up in hell, their, their lust consumes them. Their gluttonous behavior, they always have a desire for something more. Those who were worriers, now they're anxious all the time, and they can't get that off of their mind. And it's a place of utter seclusion. You ever hear people say, man, I can't wait to go to hell, party up my brother, get drunk, we're going to have sex, yeah! You ever heard that? In our culture today, they make hell look better than heaven. But you won't be partying up with your friends. You know why? Because you'll be isolated. What's the worst punishment we can give a prisoner? It's called solitary confinement. What, what, what was the worst thing about the pandemic? Was it the mask? Come on, was it really the mask? 
It was being isolated from each other. Not being able to see each other. Not to be able to do the normal things that we do. I mean, God's the one who said it's not good for man to be alone. That's what we really push back on. We're like, I need to see my family. I need to see my friends. I need to get back in my small group again. Well, hell's a place where there's no love, there's no peace, there's no joy, and there's no friendship. You're, you're just there, isolated, all alone, in torment for all of eternity. And, and here's the kicker. You ready for this one? God didn't even make hell for human beings. Did you know that? Look at what the Bible says here. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. The Bible says, depart from me. This is Jesus speaking. Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So according to Isaiah chapter 14, Satan made five I will statements. I will set myself up on the throne of God. I will overthrow God. I will call my own shots. I will do my own thing. And he tried to overthrow God in the heavens, and somehow he convinced one-third of the angels to rebel against God as well. And there was a cosmic battle that took place, and of course Satan and his demons lost, and they were thrown down to the earth. And so God said, I'm going to give a space, I'm going to have a space called hell, and that's where you're going to eventually go. It's a space where I won't be. It's as if God says, listen, you wanted nothing to do with me? Here's your space. Now even though Hell was never made for a human being. That's exactly where human beings will go if they choose the same pattern and the same, same path that Satan chose. If you're going to walk around and stretch your stuff and say, I'll do what I want to do and I'll sit on my own throne and I'll call my own shots and no one's going to tell me how to live my life. I don't care what God's done for me. I don't care what he's done by sending his son to die. Then you will go exactly to a place of where God is not. That's what hell is. It's a place where God is it? You wanted nothing to do with him on this earth. You'll have nothing to do with him in, in eternity as well. He'll give you exactly what you asked for. Let me, let, me, let me dispel one of the myths that's out there because you hear this an awful lot, right? You say, I don't believe a good and loving God would ever send somebody to hell. I, I, I think that's right. Good and loving God would never send somebody to hell. People choose to go to hell. Do you realize in our day and age what a person has to do to end up in hell? You got to want it. You got to work at it. Do you realize how many times you had to ignore the message of Jesus Christ? How many times you drove by a church and said, I don't, I don't care what those people think. I don't, I don't care what that's about. I think they're stupid. I think they're foolish. They just believe in a bunch of made-up fairy tales and foolishness. Do you know how many times you had to have a Bible near you and you never cracked it open? My goodness, some people live 70, 80, 90 years, never open up the Bible, not one time in their life. I don't want anything to do with that Bible. I don't want anything to do with what that has to say. How many conversations did they have to ignore throughout the course of their lifetime to, to get to go to hell because they chose it? How many times on TV now would you have to see Sagebrush or another preacher and then you say, ah, oh, get that guy off my TV. I don't hear what he has to say. How many times do you have to ignore the cross? Say, that never happened. I don't believe that. I don't believe that he rose again. Every Easter, you got to ignore the real reason for it. You get to celebrate the Easter bun. And how many uh, Christmases did you have to ignore that Jesus came for you? How many Christmases did you have to look at the nativity and say, I don't believe it? Never happened. It never took place. Listen, if a person is bound and determined to go to hell, 
God says, have it your way. If that's what you want, well, then depart from me, you evil and wicked person. Now, you got to understand something, and I want to make this very clear. This absolutely breaks the heart of God. Because the Bible teaches that God wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of his truth. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus paints a picture so compelling to show us what the heart of God really is for people who are far from him and how God longs to have a relationship with him. That Jesus tells not one story, not two stories, but he tells three stories in a row. Boom, boom, boom. He wants to make certain that we get it. The first story he tells is about a shepherd, and the shepherd has a hundred sheep. And he goes out in his fields, and he's tending to his sheep, and he counts his sheep up, and he recognizes that, those, oh my goodness, there's only 99 sheep. I've lost a sheep along the way. So what's the shepherd do? He leaves the 99 sheep in safe pasture, and he goes and he searches for the one lost sheep. And when he finds it, this is what the Bible says, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there were more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. Second story is about a woman. She's got 10 coins. She starts counting her coins out. She's got nine. She's lost a coin. So what does she do? She sweeps the entire place. She's looking for her coin. You do the same thing. Lose a tenth of your income. You'd look everywhere for that coin. She does. She finds the coin. What does she do? She calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then Jesus tells his most famous story of all. We call it the parable of the prodigal son. He says there's a snot-nosed teenage kid who comes up to his dad and says, Dad, you're better off dead to me than you are alive. I want my inheritance, and I want it right now. And for reasons I still don't understand, the dad says, Go ahead, take the money and run, kid. So he does. And he goes off to a distant land. He squanders away all the wealth, finds himself penniless and poor, slopping pigs. And the Bible says this, He came to his senses. He said, my father's hired hands are treated better than I am. I'll go back. I know I'm no longer worthy to be called my, my father's son, but maybe he'll make me like one of his hired men. So he begins to walk back home, and he has a little speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against earth. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He practices it over and over and over again. Now, what the kid doesn't know, what the kid doesn't know, is that the dad's been looking out over the horizon, longing for his son to come home, and when he sees him and when he recognizes him, he runs to his son, and he embraces his son, and he forgives his son, even before his son gets his little speech out, and then he turns and he said, this son of mine was dead, and he's alive again, he was lost, and now he's found, so they began to celebrate. Look at these verses, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. John 3, 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 1 Timothy 2, 4. This is right in the eyes of God our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Nobody wants you to go to heaven more than God wants you to go to heaven. And he paid the ultimate price so you could get there. 
You ever heard the term over my dead body? It's a term we use from time to time when our kids are doing something stupid, right? Kids come up and say, I'm going to go do this, or I'm going to go do that, or I'm going to go do this. And we say, over my dead body. Over my dead body. It's our way of saying, no way. I'm not going to let that happen. You have to go over my dead body to go and do that. For those of you who are bound and determined to go to hell, because you want nothing to do with Jesus, you will do it over his dead body. You will have to blind your eyes and close your ears to his cries from the cross. My God! My God! Why have you forsaken me? You'll have to ignore the sacrifice of Jesus that was made on your behalf because you were once an enemy of God. You were living your life the way that you wanted to live it, doing whatever you wanted to do. You didn't care who you hurt, hurt yourself, hurt somebody else, hurt, it, hurt the very heart of God. And God said, I still love you. I still want to forgive you. But someone's got to pay the price for your sin. And so Jesus dies on the cross for our sin and for our shame and rises again from the dead. One of the last things he says from the cross is, Tadalastai, it is finished, paid in full. Jesus is saying, I have paid your sin debt that you owed a holy God already. I don't want you to go to hell. I want to spend forever with you. I want you to have abundant life on this earth, and I want you to have eternal life in heaven. When we ask the question, I can't believe a good and loving God would send somebody to hell, you're asking the wrong question. You do realize that, right? See, here, here's the problem for you and for me. You ready for this? We get so focused on the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God that we forget about the justice of God and the holiness of God. I was reading a book by Randy Alcorn. This is what he writes. He says, if we were holy, we'd realize that the strange thing isn't why God would allow people to go to hell. He's infinitely righteous and we're sinners. Steeped in rebellion, where else would you send them? He continues, the really disturbing question, if we were holy, would be, how could a holy God send sinful men to heaven? We ask the wrong questions. Do you know why we ask the wrong questions? Because we don't have a clue what we've been saved from. Most of us don't have a clue what really took place at the moment of your conversion when you asked Jesus Christ to become the leader and the forgiver of your life. I want you to listen to this. I was reading this book by Brian Jones. It's called Hell is for Real, but I wish it wasn't. It's a really good book. This is what he writes. Most Christians don't have a clue what happened at their conversion. This shouldn't surprise us, he writes. Have you seen the evangelistic appeals that pastors and church leaders give to non-Christians? They sound like invitations to buy something from the Home Shopping Network. Folks, for the next five minutes, the opportunity to change your life is staring you right in the face. Don't wait. All you got to do is follow these easy steps, and you'll be on your way to a happy, successful, and fulfilling new life in Christ. Isn't that what we do? Can you imagine the Apostle Paul talking that way? He continues, contrary to what you might have heard when you crossed the line of faith, you weren't saved from a mediocre version of your life the day you came to Christ. You weren't baptized to escape a life of boredom. 
You weren't reconciled with the Creator so you could live life with meaning and purpose, free from a flabby waistline and dingy yellow teeth. Here's what you were saved from. Instead, Jesus rescued you from falling into the hands of someone larger than your mind can conceive. Stronger than the combined strength of a trillion nuclear explosions, a holy God destined to unleash the complete, unrestrained force of his wrath on you for offending his holy nature. That's what you were saved from. But we never think about that. Not in that way. But that's exactly what the Bible teaches. Explain something to me. Why does God kill his son? If nobody goes to hell. Why put him through it? While we were still enemies, rebellious to the very core, God sent Jesus to rescue us. And God the Father watched on that day. He watched his son be beaten and mocked and laughed at and spit upon. He watched his nails went into his hands and his feet and the crown of thorns upon his head. For six hours one Friday, he listened to his son slowly suffocate. And every drop of blood that was poured out was for the, your forgiveness and for my forgiveness. And do you know why? Well, if you've asked Jesus to come in your life to be the leader and forgiver of your life, then you're as close to hell today as you will ever be. He went through all of that so he would never, ever be separated from you. Now, I know what some of you are saying. You're saying, oh, this is great, Todd. This is just fan, fantastic. I brought my friend here today for the very first time, and you just scared the hell out of him. I tell you what, that's exactly what you did. I hope I did. You know what makes me so upset? Is that nobody has to go this place. And God doesn't want you to go there. He's done everything in his power to make sure you don't go there. And yet people refuse him. Deny him. Want nothing to do with him. I don't want you to ever forget something, Sage Brusher. Christian. That's why this church exists. We exist to know Christ and make Christ known. See, around here, we believe there really is a heaven and there really is a hell and people really are going to one place or the other. And we believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead so that we could be free of our sin, so that we can have meaning and purpose in our life, that we can live a life of significance, that we could leave this world in better shape than the way that we found it. We believe that Jesus changes everything and that the blood of Jesus is what we need more than anything else in this world and that no political party is ever going to rescue us. But Jesus has already come and done that. Do you know him? Have you confessed your sin? Have you asked him into your life? No matter what you've done, no matter how bad you've blown it, no matter how far you've spit in his face, he still loves you. And he's still extending a hand of a relationship with you. His nail-scarred hand is extended to you. 
Why don't you take his hand? Why don't you give your life to him? Why don't you live your life for him? Because if you push it away, if you say, I want nothing to do with you, he says, okay, well, there is a space that I've reserved for people who wanted nothing to do with me. And you'll never feel another moment of love or joy or peace ever again. And why? Because that's what you wanted. You wanted nothing to do with him on this earth. So he says he'll have nothing to do with me for all eternity. Or confess your sin. Repent of your sin. Turn away from it. I don't want to live that way anymore. Believe that Jesus is God's son. Died on the cross and rose again from the dead. And you commit your life to him. Doesn't mean you'll be perfect because none of us are. But it's the attitude of your heart that you want to live for him. That you want to follow him. That you want to serve him every moment of every day from this moment forward. And my prayer is that that's what you want. You were made by him and for him to have a relationship with him. And the Bible says that today is the day of your salvation. So if you hear him, if the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you right now, do not harden your heart. Do not turn away. But say, it's me. I've been running for you my whole life, and I don't even know why. But I'm done with running. And I want to come home. Just like the prodigal son, he will run to you. He will embrace you. He will forgive you. And he will begin to prepare a place for you in heaven so that one day you will never, ever be alone ever again. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I just, I just pray for anyone who's watching me or who's in this room that does not have a relationship with you. They, they do not know what it is to know you, to follow you, to serve you. They've never confessed their sin. They have run away from you their whole entire lives. I pray, Lord, today would be the day of their salvation. Today would be the day where they'd finally say, I I'm done with running. I need Jesus. I pray today would be the day that they would confess that they believe that you love them so much that you died in their place, that you took their sin debt and you covered it with your blood, that you rose again from the dead. I pray today would be the day they would commit their life to you. They would surrender all that they are and all that they hope to be. I pray today would be the day where they're as close to hell as they're ever going to get. That today would be the day they cross the line of faith. And that they would feel your warm embrace. That today would be the day you'd start building their home in heaven. Please, God. Please, God. May today be the day of their salvation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.